There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Everybody just wants to be contented. Everyone wants to be happy. Right now is the most important moment. It's just so unfair on every child who doesn't have options. It's amazing how many unintelligent people look. They're absolutely astonished at it. What is the matter with these people? We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. All right, I think it'll hold me better today. I feel a bit better this morning. Thank you for all the people who were messaging me yesterday on my social, asking me if it was all right. I'm grand. I'm grand. It just goes with the with the time of year, and it'll clear in a day or two. Good morning to you. 0818 96 96 96. I have tickets for the marquee to see River Dance Sunday afternoon, June 5th at half two. It's the matinee performance. I have tickets for that later this morning. All right, later this morning, tickets. A pair of tickets at Riverdance performance every day this week as Live at the Marquee kicks off <coughs> once again. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I was reminded yesterday of a time when I went to go to fly out of Cork Airport on my holidays at stupid o'clock in the morning. It was like ridiculous early morning flight, like quarter to six or some stupid time. <clears throat> this is years ago, and I was met at the, the gates of the airport because it was really, really, really busy. And I was met at the door of the terminal by none other than Joe O'Connor, who was the then GM at the airport, because so busy were they that everyone came in <clears throat> on that Sunday morning to get people through. Um, is that the kind of thing that's going to have to start happening at Dublin Airport, Adam Higgins from the Irish Sun, to make sure that we don't have another debacle like we had last weekend? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, the flight mare is how uh, we described it in today's Irish Sun. One of my colleagues has written that. And I think you're right when it comes to all hands on deck. So Minister Eamon Ryan met with um, the DAA bosses yesterday and demanded, look, we need to know what you're going to do next to tackle this for next weekend. And they need to know today. So the minister will meet with them bosses again today before briefing the cabinet later on this evening. And I'm sure that's when we'll find out what sort of plans the DAA have uh, in, in stock. But one of the things that I'm sure they are looking at, which the, one of their uh, representatives said last night on a late night radio show, he said that 
they are looking at moving some of their office staff. So you're talking about finance workers, HR workers, into some of the, the roles that aren't necessarily, you know, they don't need too much training to get into them type of security positions, some of the positions on the outside and that, you know. But the key issue that Minister Ryan said the airport bosses are blaming this on is two things. One is a, a huge spike in demand, so a huge boost in travel after everything has opened up. And the second is that they had a lot of staff out sick at the weekend, particularly on Sunday, who all work in that security queue section. And that's what they're blaming this on. But it's it's very hard to understand how this has happened again because we know that this has been happening at Dublin Airport to a lesser degree since March. And every weekend you've seen a kind of you'll see these pictures floating around or videos floating around on social media of look at this chaos at, and, and it really came to a fore at the weekend. Now, we had numbers yesterday that were showed the last time they tried to recruit staff for those security positions was before Christmas. 5,000 people applied. 500 were deemed uh, okay to interview. So they interviewed those 500 and only 200 staff were hired. And I think the Dublin Airport uh, Authority would admit that the that 200 is not enough, and I think they need to recruit more. But the problem is that does not solve the problem for this weekend, which is going to be an even higher level of travellers at Dublin Airport, and no doubt will will cause some issues. So they need a real robust plan for this weekend. Wasn't there something as well, Adam, that during the pandemic they let go an awful lot of these staff and they paid them off? There was a, there was a redundancy package, a, quite a generous one, I believe. But there was also um, a term or a TNC there that they can't come back for at least two years. Mm. I mean, it's time to look at that again because they're out there, they're cleared, they're qualified, they know what to do. They could come back if they were asked. That's a very good point, you're right. And I think it was uh, almost 300 workers, 280-something workers, who had uh, taken up that voluntary redundancy scheme during the pandemic. And look, you can understand a lot of companies, especially in the hospitality and tourism sectors, were feeling the pinch and needed to do something to to keep their books going and that sort of thing. But you're right that it would be a great option to look at whether they can half that or cut that uh, redundancy uh, allowance time and bring those staff back. But the big question as well is where are them staff gone? I mean, they could be in other airports, they could be in different countries. And those staff at the moment are very highly sought after. And I suppose this whole... Dublin Airport tobacco is probably one of the best advertisements that Cork Airport and Shannon Airport could hope yeah. for because I'm sure there's a lot of people who are thinking of travelling either next weekend or in the coming weekends and they say, I wonder can I fly out of Cork? I wonder can I fly out of Shannon? And I mean, maybe that's is, something is that we see. Is anyone putting that on the table, Adam? I mean, the logistics of that are well above your pay grade and mine, I have no doubt. But is anybody putting that on the table that could we logistically move some of these flights? I don't. I haven't seen that put on the table, but I think, as, as far as I'm aware, that the way these things work is that the airlines have their specific lanes uh, scheduled, and it's it's quite a, a debacle to move flights out of specific runways and things like that. There's a lot of planning that's involved, but the airport, Dublin Airport, does need to come up with solutions, and they need it today. So I'm sure they were burning the midnight oil last night trying to figure what they're going to say to Minister Ryan today. Yeah, what's going to happen if they don't sort it out? Like, admit, and it, of course, it should be said, Adam, let's be fair here. Let's be balanced. Like, Dublin Airport was a mess last weekend, but so too was Manchester. So too were an awful lot of British airports <clears throat> and airports across Europe. Mm. So this is not yes, unique right. to us, but we seem to have taken it, like, like we always seem to do, we've taken it to Champions League level here. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. No, and there was issues in Brussels Airport as well over the weekend, I'm told. And and this is all to do with this uh, boom. And it's the same thing you'll see in the hospitality sector. The, the, during the pandemic, 
those sectors were hit hard, so they had to cut back. And now, with everything open, there's a boom that they've never seen before, and they can't recruit fast enough in order to fill those positions. But the, the issue is then when it comes to security at the airport, which is can be a very dangerous situation, especially when you have that many people showing up uh, at, at the one place and queuing at the one time, and it can become a, a dangerous situation there. So what needs to happen here is they, they need to get more staff, they need to get them quick, but I don't think they can do that by this weekend. So it looks like it's going to be all hands on deck, office workers and everybody else out with the high-vis on, and let's see if they can get through this weekend. Yeah. Like There's going to be loads of people going up from Cork this weekend uh, to fly out on holidays, long, well-earned, well-deserved holidays. And <clears throat> they're going to say, right, I'm supposed to fly out 9 o'clock Sunday morning. Should I be going now? Like, do you know? Yes, and I think I think that's one area that they really need to be clear and there needs to be a clear communications uh, strategy on that. If not today, then tomorrow and over the coming days because one of the things that I remember uh, a couple of weeks ago we were reporting on uh, similar issues, not to a lesser extent, but similar issues in Dublin Airport and they said that it was caused by people showing up too early because they were afraid of the queues. So if that causes a backlog, they need to be very clear with their communications about when people should show up for their flights. And I think that's something that we should really hear from the DAA in the coming days is that if you have a flight at 10 o'clock, you should show up at X o'clock. And they need to really be clear about that because otherwise you're going to have everybody showing up really early, queuing at the same time, and it's going to turn into another mess. And if someone out the front then checking, right, when is your flight? What 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 flight do you want? Right, you need to go there. You need to go there. You need, you need that kind of crowd control. It literally is crowd control you need outside the doors. Yes, 100% it is. Um, the thing with crowd control is... It's a it's a high. You need a lot of bodies in there to do that. I mean, you need to have people manning these queues and telling people where to go. And at the moment, the airport authority doesn't seem to have those workers, so they have to find them from somewhere and they have to find them quick. One last thing, Adam, is the people coming in here, tourists coming in here. You saw the piece, I'm sure, in the paper in the last few days about the man who came from America, and he said he could have shipped his own car over for the cost of renting one here and the price of hotels, especially in Dublin. Is anything, I mean, is there anything at political level being being said or done to, to try to combat that? Yes, there has. And um, that has become very much on the political agenda over the past two weeks, in particular the price of hotels. And uh, the tarnished uh, um, Minister of Business, Leo Varadkar, kind of sent a little bit of a veiled threat to the hospitality and the hotel industry over the weekend he was doing a press conference and part of that was he was asked about this this issue of hotel prices and he said that high hotel prices have damaged uh, and prices in general have damaged Ireland's uh, tourism reputation in the past and he doesn't want to see that again and he said at the moment the hospitality sector and tourism sector are availing of a lower VAT rate which the government has given them in order for them to get back on their feet and he says if they want to keep that and they need to, to not, you know, rip off people when it comes to prices. So that was very much, from the way I'm seeing it, a threat to the hospitality sector and the hotel sector that if you rip off people with prices, then that VAT rate will go up quickly. And what are they saying in return? There hasn't been much reaction. That was only yesterday that that was in the newspapers. Uh, so I think that's something we'll see. And I believe hotel bosses, and in particular the airport bosses, are in with the Oireachtas committees this week. So there will be interesting uh, ones to watch over the next couple of days. All right, Adam, thank you. Adam Higgins, political correspondent of the <clears throat> Irish Sun, 0818 I, I quoted this to you yesterday. Um, the Gresham Hotel in Dublin 
where we stayed on the 18th of July, 2021. Two rooms, uh, B&B, cost me 190 on the 18th of July. And that night was full. Same night this year, July 18th, 2022. Two rooms with B&B, 628 quid. It's gone completely off the scale. And the price of renting a car is just, it's just insane. I'm reading here from the the Independent about a guy called Oshin Hayes. Uh, he's Irish but lives in Philadelphia. Went online to book a car rental for three weeks from mid-July. Ten grand they wanted. He said, you could ship my own car there and back for the same price. Like, it's just insane the way car hire has gone. Yes, there is a shortage of new cars and all of that. But the price of car hire has just gone bonkers altogether. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96FM. Actually, if you're planning to fly out from Dublin Airport this weekend, um, because the flight just isn't going from Cork, but if you're planning to fly out from Dublin this weekend, I'd love to know what you're planning to do. Like when we were going out of Cork a few years ago, the twins were small and it used to get really busy. So what we used to do was there were friends of ours and we'd drop the kids off at their house uh, on the way up and then we'd go and we'd check in and put everything through and the whole lot. And literally when we were ready to go through and go to board, I'd get me bait to drop the kids up. That worked for us, but Cork is nice and small. You can do that. Dublin is a bit big to be to be doing all that. Antoinette says the problem with recruitment in the airport is they're offering 20-hour contracts. My son has a security license. There's no way he'd give up a 40-hour week job that he's in to work 20 hours and then be let go at the end of the summer. Yeah. 0818 96 96 96. Just bear with the voice, please, if you, if you can. It, it, it's, it, I'm not... People were asking, I'm not in any discomfort. I'm not in any pain. I'm just... Struggling as well, but would be grand, would be grand. There's been a huge surge in the number of people attending the sexual assault treatment unit here in Cork, um, believing that they have been spiked, their drinks have been spiked. And we've covered spiking on the opinion line several times in the last year, various different angles of it, including spiking where you actually had no idea whatsoever what's after happening to you, or spiking where you wake up at home and you realise, what happened to me? One particular case of a young woman who I spoke to, and it all went to court because she was clearly spiked and she ended up being assaulted and all that. It's a massive problem. Margot Noonan is head of the uh, SATU. Margot, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, again, apologies for, for the vocals, but we get through it. Um, <laughs> you're seeing a surge. Is it in people who know they've been spiked or think they've been spiked? I think it's in people who think they may have been spiked. We've seen a surge overall. We're double our numbers for what we'd normally be at this time of the year. I think we hit 90 at the weekend. 
Um, but a large majority of those at the start of the year would have come in with lost hours, not understanding what had happened or unsure as to what had happened. Yeah. Um, and really just to see what we could do, because there, there may have been evidence that something did happen, yeah. but they didn't know how or when it happened. Mary Crilly over at the Sexual Violence Centre has said they've over 100 reports so far this year. Yeah. 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 And a lot of people, they don't know sometimes. They'll never know. They may not realise that something has happened. Um, I think we need to change what uh, we think we know about spiking and drugging. I mean, alcohol is one of the most common used drugs and drug-facilitated sexual assault. Um, so somebody buying you excessive drinks, encouraging you to have lots of shots way above what you'd normally have. Um, and the other issue is that a lot of us think that when we talk about spiking, we expect that you're given a drug that will knock you out. Years ago, they used to talk about rupees and benzodiazepines. But the new drugs on the market don't knock you out. In fact, they make you quite euphoric. Yeah. And you'll watch somebody who has been spiked and they will look that they're just in a really good form. They're very friendly. They're very outgoing. So it's learning to recognise and understand those symptoms that we need to be aware of. Yeah, someone was talking to me about this recently, Margot, um, who knows a bit about it, and was saying that that, that particular, gave me a name of a drug, can't even remember it. That's mm. my fault, not you, not anybody else's. But said, yeah. like, one thing is, if you're out in, say, Mary's company, and Mary's normally quiet and nursing her drink, enjoying herself yeah. through her eyes kind of thing. But just And then if yeah. suddenly Mary's going around dancing with the table and in great form, be careful there. Yeah, complete personality change. And it's that word euphoric, if you think about the way people behave when they're like that, they're heightened everything. But actually they won't have any recollection and they're very open to suggestion. Yes. So that's the issue. Um, and unfortunately, the drug that is used, G, we do have a very low level of that in our own systems, everyone has. Um, and I'm not a scientist, I can't go into the full aspect, but I know from what I've been learning over the years that it's gone out of the system quite quickly. So by the time somebody realises that something has happened, it's very difficult difficult for us to find traces. But in the statue, if somebody comes to us with that issue, um, we would encourage anyone who's got lost time or has any concerns to come into us because there's so much other things that we need to look after as well to make sure that somebody's okay, you know, to follow up around their sexual health and maybe look for injuries or anything like that, you know, and uh, link them in with counselling because I think losing time especially when you've no control over losing that time. The psychological impact of that is lifelong um, and can have very traumatic impact. So it's important that if someone has any suspicions that maybe a friend of theirs has been spiked or, you know, to stay with them, keep them safe, don't let them on their own. And I know we're looking at initiatives with Mary Crilly and with the Divisional Protective Services Unit and looking on ways that we can do something to combat this in the city, especially. Yeah, you, you, There's a, a new service starting as well, Sexual Violence Survivors West Cork. Tell me yes. about that. So this came about initially as a Tusla-led needs analysis project back in 2017. And I was very lucky at that stage to meet uh, Marie Monholland, the CEO of West Cork Women Against Violence. So today is the launch of the second piece of research done by Caroline Crowley. And this is called Listening to Survivors of Sexual Violence and Their Supporters in West Cork. So the first part of the research, looking at the services that were in West Cork for victims of sexual violence, and there actually wasn't any. 
and that led to us opening an outreach clinic in Bantry. So once a month, uh, we travel to Bantry and provide a clinic there for victims of sexual violence who want to not have to take time off work or school and come into the city, that we're actually bringing the service to them. Um, And this is the second part this morning. This is where 30 survivors have come forward and have given their stories. And while it is... Uh, very harsh and is emotive and it's difficult to read. It's something that needs to be heard because, you know, I was just speaking with Dr. Louise Crowley downstairs and we were talking about how so many, you know, you have all these acts and legislation and policy makers, but this is, this is the raw material. This is where we're listening to what people have to say and they're getting a voice this morning. Um, and I think it's really important because it's led to such huge development in West Cork around the area of sexual violence. Yeah. Um, rolling out the schools programme in some of the schools in, in West Cork we've been involved in um, and just building up a network of resources, you know, uh, supporting for sexual violence counsellors um, and looking for services because in rural communities and more than urban, no matter where you go in this country, somebody has been affected by sexual violence. Uh-huh. Um, and we can't get away from it. So we need to make sure that the services, we know through research, the lifelong psychological and physical impact that sexual violence has on a person. So the sooner we can intervene, we can, you know, work around the preventative part of it, but also being there to catch them afterwards, to look after them and help them go through this journey. Is it the so case, Margot, that when you provide an out, a service like this, a, a safe space for want of a better expression or a, a place where people can come and talk about that which is on their mind. Is it a case of if you provide it, they will come? Yes, and we have proved that on West Cork. We have definitely proved that. Um, by you know, We've done eight clinics since we've opened. We've had over 18 people have attended this service for follow-up care after sexual violence. Um, and it is, you definitely, if if people are willing, and even we've noticed, you know, the more we're talking about it, the more disclosures we get, the more people are getting comfortable talking about it. You know, in our numbers in the unit, we've had nine men report sexual assault this month alone. We haven't had nine men in a year in the last 20 years. Good Lord. And I think it's because at long last we're accepting that sexual violence is an issue for everybody. It's not just a gendered issue, it's for everybody. And it's amazing that people are, you know, to be able to provide a service to people that need it, you know. And their stories are exactly the same. All victim stories, you know, there's the same kind of tread through them about the you know the the impact that it has on them so I think we're making it more comfortable we're hitting it head on we're not shying away from the topic um, and I think that's making an impact and when people know that they're going to be listened to they tend to come forward. I was Talking to Mary Crilly about the very same thing recently when we got the word that she was to be nominated for yes. Freedom of the City and like we were saying absolutely. We were saying that like even ten years ago we didn't talk as openly as we do now. And no. I think everybody realized, Margot, we needed to be able to talk and we needed to be able to give people a place and a space to talk. But did we realize I mean, you're there on the front line. Mary's there on the front line. Did people realise the amount of pent-up stuff that's out there? I don't think so. I think, you know, even when the Divisional Protective Services opened in Angarda Siakona and the first one opened in Angus Street piloting in October 2017, and they were overwhelmed with the amount of historical disclosures they got. I mean, absolutely overwhelmed. Um, 
and like that, as you say, build a service. There are people out there, our services in need. Twenty, We offer a 24-7 service. There's yeah. always a forensic examiner on call, you know, support nurse yeah. and access to psychological service. And we are being used so much at the moment. Yeah. You know, we really are. Um, and the same with paediatrics. You know, thankfully, we're working on the Barna House South for Cork, which, you know, for the south of the country, which is going to be amazing because we need that service. We absolutely need it. You know, we need to take care of people who, who are coming to, you know, to have been through the journey. But we need to stop people getting on that journey in the first place. Yeah. And that's where education comes in. There's so many different facets to this that we could, you know, focus on. But I think it has to be collaborative. It has to be co-joined. And I think in Cork, we've done that very well between the domestic violence services, the sexual violence services, you know, the state agencies, the NGOs, we all work very much towards the one thing. Yeah. We want to eradicate sexual violence, but we want to support victims of sexual violence. And, and Tusla has its own unit. Now, it's a small unit. I think they yes. call it SIT specialists. They're inundated. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, you know, and I mean, even, you know, we have to have a support group for offenders, which is which is huge. If you think about it, according to the CSO statistics last year, um, I'm pulling this out of my head now, but I know, but under the age of 18, 50, 50% of the offenders of sexual violence were under the age of 18, and 50% of the victims were under age 18. I mean, if that's not a screaming statistic for someone to sit up and take note in the education system, I don't know what is. We're, we're, we, we, we have in the last 10 years in fairness Margot have we have we have op- done a lot of work we've and opened the doors say, of pa- yeah. we've opened the lid of Pandora's box we fair. have and there are some schools out there I know I work with uh, a number of schools across the city and they have completely and utterly embraced the schools program yes. and it's a very gritty it's very hard going it's, it's there's no soft soap I don't do soft words um, and I have to say they've completely and utterly embraced it the teachers the students the parents um, and have really started to develop their own code within their schools around this topic and um, I, I, I do to think you you know, I love that the young people, when you challenge them, you know, we, we talked about hashtag educate your sons. And I found that very, very hurtful because the majority of young men that I meet in schools and that, they were really upset by that because they won't stand for this. I'm glad you, you know? raised that. I'm so yeah. glad you raised that, Margot, you know, because a, yeah. a lot of friends of mine who would be parents of sons, you know, they mm. say, that's not fair. I'm raising good fair. boys. I'm yeah, raising we, good boys yeah. and we don't need this assumption that they're all no. predators because they're not actually they'll call themselves out much faster than we used to Absolutely. when we were that age yeah it should be educate the adults because we're coming from a generation PJ where this wasn't talked about where it was shameful and embarrassing and it was the victim's fault but now we're raising a generation of young men and women who know that this is a human rights issue it's not right it's not acceptable it is a crime and we have to keep treating it like a crime because if we do that and we can't just blame one particular gender or you know I know when I've gone to the schools and I've talked to the boys and initially they're very you know mistrusting but once I explained to them actually I know that you have potential to be victims too and I know this isn't so we need to give you a voice this is where your voice is um, and I think we need, we need to very much make sure that we don't do that sort of, well, all boys are predators. So then you'll have some, you know, I'm afraid that they'll say, well, this is expected out of me. So we need to stop this hashtag educate your sons. It's educate everybody. Absolutely educate everybody. Um, and making it, as long as we cause a division, 
in the you know with sexual violence that it's a female against male or male against female we need to stop that as long as that division is there we are never going to go any further in eradicating it so we need to make it a joint societal effort it has to start in the family it has to start in the community and it has to start as a society at large Mary, sometimes a conversation and the opinion then goes down a road I wasn't expecting to go. <laughs> I'm glad it went down that way. Thank you so much for being with me You're this very morning. welcome, PJ. No bother. Thanks Cheers. very much. That's Thanks. Margot Noonan, head of the Cork City Sexual Assault Treatment Unit. Your thoughts on what she's saying? Because it became this educate your sons, educate your boys thing for, for the last couple of years. But actually it's educate everybody. Is what she says. We all have a role to play here. Mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, sisters, brothers, cousins, nieces, nephews. We all have a role here. Thank you for that, Margot. 0818 96 96 96. I need to clear out the old throat for a read that bit about the, the army and a couple more comments besides. But by the way, have you been looking at the price of petrol and diesel? It's gone up again. That 15 cent or whatever that we got in excise. So that's long since been gobbled up. Petrol and diesel are now both headed back towards two euro a gallon again. And it's gone off the agenda for discussion. And and Kevin's worried about it. And so too are others. Catch up next. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. The Shine Ladies Lunch takes place on Saturday the 11th of June at the Clayton Hotel Cork City. A fabulous day filled with food, fun, music and more. There'll be a host of raffle and spot prizes on the day with dancing until 10pm. All proceeds from the event will go towards supporting the work of the Shine Centre Cork, supporting families and children on the autistic spectrum. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. Cork's 96fm. Yeah, this came in a few minutes ago. I wanted to contact you with regard to the delays in Dublin Airport. My partner was in the military police in the Southern Brigade. There are 300 military police in Ireland who are trained on security and have full clearance due to their duties in the prison. Question is, why are these military police not being used until the new hires are trained up? Standard answer on bringing in the army. Why is it not done? There has to be a request from government and it demonstrates their inability to manage a situation with standard civil resources. But surely this is now evident over the weekend in Dublin Airport. <clears throat> Concern is our lack of ability to leverage these resources where when they're needed. That's a fantastic point. I've been saying this for a long time. The army or the military police, they are the aid to civil power. They're the aid to the resources of the state. They need to be called in. But when we call them in, we admit that the state resources are failing. That's why it's a politically big swallow to ask them to come in. But you know what you need to do? You need to put on your big boy pants and do it. Just bring them in. I think that's a fantastic point. Bring in the military police. They're all trained. And let's get through these couple of difficult weekends. Now, <clears throat> as regards petrol and diesel, um, I put petrol in my car the other day and I noticed, because I'd buy litres. So I, I buy, say, 10 litres, 15 litres, 20 litres. I buy 20 litres and I noticed, whoa, that's a bit dearer than it was last week. 
and it was dear last week. We've completely, that, that bit of an exercise cut we got, Kevin, has been completely swallowed up. Good morning. Morning, man. How are you keeping? You okay? Right. I'll be all right. I'll be grand. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you sound like you had 40 maids or anything. <laughs> um, yeah, look, the, the cost of fuel has gone through the roof again. It's back up to the bones of two euro a litre. Well, it's 199.999 infinity. And it's, it's the bones of two euros again. And I mean, the, the situation I'm in at the minute, okay, is I work on a community employment scheme. Nice. Um, so you get you, you work three days a week and you get twenty quid on top of your social. And my commute to work is sixteen mile round trip. Now we've one car in the household. That car before she takes me to work in the morning does a school run. That's sixteen miles the other direction. There well, it's eight there, eight back. Yeah. Then she'll come back, take me to work, come home, and then do it all again in reverse in the afternoon. And then she'll go to work in the evening. So my car is doing the bones of about 70 or 80 miles every day, right. you know. And where you, where you live, that's necessity. It is, yeah. I mean, we live where we, there is zero public transport. And for a large amount of people in the county, that is the way it is. You know, we don't, we're not lucky enough to live in a city with uh, really good public services or good public transport. When you have none, you, you have to have a car. So the cost of petrol is something I notice really you know it, I, t- I perk my ears up when I when we when she drops me in on a Monday morning oh it's 199 again or it's 197 and the curious thing is before I I texted you last week um, I looked up what the price of crude oil was yes and I looked up the price of what crude oil was in back it was actually in 2008 it, it came up when when I did my Google search it was 1443 dollars a barrel in, in 2008 and the price of fuel was one about 121 122 a liter it's 123 dollars today yes for a, a barrel of oil and the cost of fuel is two euros so the added taxation that's gone on on fuel has nearly gone up by what 80 cents in the space from this time from 2008 to now but the journeys that people are making are the same. Yeah. And when the 20 quid figure was put on for this for these community employment schemes, which are run all over the county, that 20 quid figure was put on probably when fuel was about 130, 135. And it doesn't account for people. I mean, there's about 50, 60 people on this scheme, on this, yeah. on this scheme with us. And they're doing loads of work around, around the areas, be it Meals on Wheels, uh, Warm Homes Initiatives, uh, loads of different stuff, you know. <laughs> the, you know, your villages and towns don't look as good as they do naturally. Yes. You know, this, this kind of stuff is done in the background. And, and, it's, and it's good work and it's work I know you enjoy. I love it. I, I love doing it. I mean, with the year that I've had, um, being able to get out and do this kind of work, I love it. I really do. And um, the only pro it's really starting to pinch. You know, yeah. I was listening to a report on RT News this morning and... The cost of butter has gone up by 80 cents. Yes. You know, a loaf of bread is now 320. Milk has gone up. You know, your, these are your basic staples. And then you factor in the fuel costs and the energy costs on top. I, it's biting now. Yeah. And it, it's starting to... I mean, we're, we're, we live pretty much week to week anyway. And 
ideally, I'd love to be able to replace the car to, you know, for a more fuel-efficient car. That's just not Can't. possible. Can't do that. So we're stuck with a, a 2006 car that is a 1.4 petrol that I can't get a newer one to get a, a more efficient one. Gotcha. So I'm stuck with the one I have. And the journeys that we make are journeys that we have to make. Yeah. They're not journeys, you know, gone are the days where I oh, will go back to Clarny for the day. Those yeah. days are over. Like. Something else is going on as well. Um, my good pal, Kiran, who keeps an eye on figures like this for me. Mm. The price of barrel of oil was at its highest this time last. It was around 130 a barrel. Mm. And when it was 130 bucks a barrel, the highest unleaded was 173 a litre. Yeah, my, it's gone my, down now, and that price has gone up into the one nineties. Yeah, but my biggest fear is that we become used to this, and when things settle down and go back to a bit of normal, it might come back a little bit, but it won't come back to where it needs to be. And the cost of everything else depends on fuel. Every co- price rise you're seeing in the supermarket shelves is based on fuel and energy yes. prices and increases going around across the continent. Now, I don't expect the government to be able to, you know, wave a magic wand and wash away everything for everyone. But there's people in society that this impacts the most. Yes. People who are on fixed incomes, especially if you're in a pension or if you're like me, where you're on a community employment scheme or you're on a minimum wage, then the cost of daily living plus fuel is going to affect you an awful lot yeah. more than someone who's on a better wage. That's just the way it is. You're completely right. But they have to work out some kind of mechanism when it comes to fuel, like a fuel stabiliser, so that if the price of oil goes up, mm. the tax goes down at the same but, time so that the price at the pump stays the same. But, and but the Kevin, other, but, there is law there, um, <sighs> consumer law, in, in existence since about 2009, I think, maybe earlier even, where they can declare an economic emergency and fix the price. That's there already. What frustrates me more than anything, part of the work that I'm doing is we go around different areas. And I think it was last week or the week before, we were, I was in Ratmore. And it was, I think, nine cents a litre cheaper in Ratmore than it was where, I, where I'm based. Wow. You know, if, you go, if I go to Limerick, it's cheaper or dear, depending on... But it, the oil that they're getting from refineries is the same price. You know, that kind of stuff really frustrates yeah. me. It depends on where you are in Cork, in the county. If you're in West Cork or East Cork or North Cork or in the city, the price of petrol shouldn't have as much variance as it does. Yeah, you right. know, I can understand local, you know, local prices will be different. Say, if you're in a city, the cost of running a station in the city might be slightly higher because of the taxes that you're paying. And the, mar- and the margins are very small. The margins for the garage are very small. Yeah, Some guys yeah. have broken them down for us and they're very small. Kev, I'm going to leave it there for no reason. That needs to go on to something else, but I'm going to, you've, you've given me an idea, Kev. Thanks a bunch, mate. Um, you've given me an idea. Um, <clears throat> how much is petrol near you right now? We did this a few weeks ago and people sent in pictures and they sent in messages. So remember what it was like before they knocked off that 15 cents. That's well and truly gone back up now. What's the cost of petrol in your local garage? Just just focus on petrol. So the fo- the, the, the litre of standard unleaded, unleaded petrol in your local garage. Let me know where you are. Let me know what the cost of it was this morning as you passed. And we'll see what it's like around the city and county. Thanks, Kevin. <clears throat> oh, wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now, this is the time of year when people start preparing themselves for the summer holidays and they start 
taking things. Uh, maybe they shouldn't. And certainly something that they shouldn't be taking. There's a nasal spray. Now, why would you would put a tanning spray up your nose? Celine Daly, have people taken leaves of their senses? <laughs> Dermatology nurse specialist. Have people taken leave of their senses, putting something up their nose to try and get a tan? Well, I'll tell you, PJ, the longer I'm alive, I think that the, the more I ask that question. So this is focusing around something called melanotan. And yeah. melanotan is not new. Melanotan is a drug, an illegal drug, um, that first of all was Legal or illegal? With Illegal. 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 Yeah. So it's illegal to sell this drug. It's not um, It's not a standard drug. You can't buy it in a pharmacy because it's dangerous and it, will, it is now illegal. So about oh, maybe 15 years ago now, this drug was um, underwent lab experiments, basically, because most, well, 75% of people in Ireland are fair skin type. We call it skin type one to two. And fair skin people get skin cancer because you don't have enough pigment in our skin to protect our bodies, basically. And that's just a very quick explanation about it. So basically, this drug um, makes, or when you take this drug, it, it acts like a fake hormone. And this hormone stimulates the pigment producing cells in our body, which yeah. sounds great. So if you're a fair skinned person, you take this drug and then you all of a sudden you become like um, a Spanish or Italian person, basically. So you tan instead of burning. Therefore, you may not get skin cancer. This was the theory. When they started testing this drug, however, they found some very serious side effects to include effect on your kidneys, caused high blood pressure, caused kidney failure, um, causes pains in your tummy, nausea, um, headaches, mood changes, and also changes the original moles on your skin. So literally the researchers, when they started testing this drug way back when, they found it was extremely dangerous, too dangerous to use in humans, and it was banned. Unfortunately, it kind of filtered out to the black market and has been sold since, under the counter, let's call it, as a way of tanning. Now, originally, now when I first heard about this and seen this being used it was as an injection so people were having the side effects yes. from the injection yes, of this yes I remember this. that yes um, Yes, and all the other side effects like the nausea. They actually t- they, they called it the Barbie drug because it makes you skinny and it makes you tanned. Um, but that's an unfortunate nickname for this drug as well because it's a very dangerous drug and, co- and can cause kidney failure. So the problem with this as well is it just doesn't tan you. You have to actually go and find some UV light along with this drug to get the deep, dark tan people are looking for. And usually that's sunbeds. Now, melanoma, it, May is Melanoma Awareness Month and we're talking all month about preventing skin cancer. Yeah. Which is easy because if we don't sunburn, if we don't use sunbeds, we don't get the skin cancers. However, if you're taking this drug and then you're using sunbeds, you are putting yourself in a very dangerous position for developing something called malignant melanoma. Now, interestingly enough, this this new spray has come, appears to have come under the counter, as I said before. And the problem is, and it just makes me shiver, that these influencers in inverted commas, particularly influencers in the UK, who have been on these, you know, these daft programs like um, oh, Only Way Essex and all these these kind of programs that young people watch that love um, and they are basically promoting these um, nasal sprays on Instagram and on TikTok and Instagram and TikTok are what the young people are watching it's not RT1 like myself Um, so the young people are watching they see this deep dark tan is following the link and basically going on in a couple of clicks they can buy it online now because it's illegal we don't know how many people are using it and because it's illegal we don't know all the side effects now after many years so I don't know how researchers are going to have a look at that but we do know there's been 
case in the UK particularly of females, girls, presenting to emergency departments with um, extremely bad sinus and throat infections. And it's been linked from using these sprays. So again, it's like we don't know what is, what is in these sprays and we don't know the long-term effect these sprays have on our nasal carriage and on our throat, basically our mouth and our neck. So uh, alongside the, the obvious problem with skin cancer, this is an illegal drug that we don't know how it's been made, where it's been made or what people are putting into it. So if you have a friend or somebody, if you have a daughter, a friend, somebody who likes to tan, please have a conversation with them and tell them not to use this. This is dangerous and how, it shouldn't be used. How is it getting in if it's banned? It's like everything. If you ban something, anything can get in. So again, with the dawn of the internet, it's made it so much easier for people to sell and buy and take payments for all this rubbish online. Yeah. So basically, I believe some of these influencers come on and say, oh, look at how tanned I am. I use this. Click on the link below. They click on the link. Next thing, they're into this page with this nasal sprays. You click another link, a PayPal account, a Revolut payment, whatever it is, and bam, two days time, I'll you have this legal drug coming in the in the post and remember you know the the, the governing body that looks at, looks at drugs in Ireland coming in are seizing this at the port as well I see. So I absolutely would not buy it because your name and address are going to be on the envelope. So it's an illegal drug and I would not take it in. Do you Definitely know, not. Before, before I let you go, and that's a great warning, Milano Tan, stay away from the stuff. But something else that is deemed to be a, a natural accelerant of the pigmentation in your skin. And I did read many moons ago that it was a protection, although I never took that seriously. Just how effective is beta-carotene? Does it do anything more than just turn mm. your wee-wee orange? Or is it any good to you? A, a little bit, yes, a little bit orange. It tends to turn, turn your urine oranges, right? And your skin orange. I remember years ago, people were saying it tans you more. It doesn't. It doesn't really, it doesn't work. And again, it doesn't protect your skin. The only thing that protects your skin is being sun smart. Yeah. That means using a high factor 30 or 50, sunglasses, stay in the shape between 11 and 3, never use sunbeds and keep your clothing on. So just to be sensible in the sun and absolutely never use sunbeds. Any use of sunbed on the age of 35 uh, increases your risk of melanoma by about 70%. So some are very dangerous and are not to be used but absolutely definitely do not use this nasal spray or the injection to accelerate your tan get out of bottle like I do All just right. get, go to your local pharmacy get a nice bottle and it's just so much easier and safer Alright Celine, thank you Celine Daly is a dermatology nurse specialist Milano Tan these <clears throat> um, nasal sprays that you're seeing on TikTok and Instagram avoid them like the plague they're dangerous Petrol in Belguli 205 per litre. Diesel, 197. 199.9 in Balancholic. 192.9 in McCroom. I was in town last Saturday. One garage on one end of town, five cents a litre more expensive than the other. Yet the one with the more expensive petrol was busier. Well, thanks, Kev. You've started something. Wait, how much is the petrol near you this morning? The last garage you passed, or the one that's across the road from you right now. Just look at the standard price of a gallon of unleaded, or sorry, a litre of unleaded, and text me in at 083 Opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? 
Hi PJ, where are you getting your petrol in the high 90s? It's 205.9 in Douglas for the last few days. I haven't bought petrol uh, since last week, thereabouts. So, God. Valley Shonin, 197.5 a litre. 206.9 at the bottom of Forge Hill, says Kevin. In McCroom, diesel 189. Stayed lower for the past week or so than other areas. Cutting it over the price in Little Island, 207.9. What the hell? Hope you're sitting down and not have a nervous disposition. Little Island, unleaded, 209.9. Ah, here. It seems to me the closer you get to Whitegate, the dearer it seems to get. Or is that just, am I just imagining that? Like Little Island is a lot closer to Whitegate than, than say, Bally Shonin. And it's 209.9 there this morning. And 197.5. That, that's 10 cents of a difference. And 10 cents the wrong side of 2 euro. Just, we keep that going for the next while. Uh, give me the price of standard unleaded petrol. In the last garage you passed this morning. And just tell me where it is. And we see where the prices are going. Because they've gone crackers again. Just gone absolutely nuts again. And the problem is, Kevin made a very good point, it's almost become normalised now. We're almost accepting it. And we shouldn't. We absolutely should not. Because the price of the barrel of oil, the famous barrel of oil, I don't know how much is in a barrel of oil, but the, the price of the famous barrel of oil is lower now than it was even a few months ago. A few months ago when the barrel hit 130 Dollars, petrol was considerably cheaper. It was still dear, but considerably cheaper than it is now. Price of the barrel has gone down. Price of the petrol has gone up, and we've had the excise cut in the middle of it all. So somebody's coining it, lads. Somebody is coining it here. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I don't know if you've ever heard of <clears throat> two women called Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. Probably not, um, unless you're really into the story of the ancient pirates of the high seas. And they just had a book written about them. And they're very important in the history of pirates of the high seas. Because there weren't too many women at that piracy racket. But wait till you hear the story behind Anne Bonny in particular. I've been speaking to the author of a book called Pirate Queens... Her name is Rebecca Simon. Rebecca, your biography describes you as an international expert on pirates and piracy. So start at the start. Where did that interest come from? So that, inter- that interest came from a couple places, but mainly it started in grad school when I was doing my master's degree. And I read a book for one of my courses called Villains of All Nations, which was about pirates in the 16 and 1700s. And kind of about the evils of piracy, but also how pirates lived. And it was really interesting. And I wondered how that vision of pirates from the 16 and 1700s as criminals sort of morphed into 
the idea of like a Jack Sparrow character today. Yeah. And I wanted to really keep researching that. And so I decided to continue and I did my doctorate at King's College London and I researched public executions of pirates in the 16 and 1700s. We forget that piracy was a reality. It wasn't all about Long John Silver or, or Jack Sparrow. There were real pirates, many of them. Absolutely. There were, um, especially in the 16 and 1700s when Britain was colonizing the Americas and in a lot of competition with other European countries, there were thousands of pirates saying, sailing throughout the Caribbean and up and down North America and along the coast of Africa. And thousands were captured and executed and they were wreaking havoc on trade and they were attacking slave ships. Like they played a huge role um, in even the development of the American colonies as well. Now, there weren't very many women, uh, which is why a book about Anne Bonny and Mary Reed is of particular interest. Who were they first, Rebecca? Anne Bonny and Mary Reed are really interesting pirates because we don't know a whole lot about them. So it was a really fun challenge for me to construct a biography about them. So Anne Bonny was, uh, was they were both pirates. Anne Bonny was Irish. She was from County Cork, I believe Kinsale. Right. And she was, she grew up in the American colonies in the Carolinas and ran off, so the story goes, she ran off with a poor sailor and ended up joining pirates after she arrived in the Caribbean because she left her husband and married another pirate named Jack Rackham and sailed with him. Do we know how she came to leave Kinsale in the first place? Because anybody who's ever been born in Kinsale never really wants to leave. (laughs) (laughs) So what happened is we don't, so we only have one source that tells the story, but it's probably fictionalized. But basically what it appears is that her father who was a lawyer, had her out of wedlock with his housemaid. And then to avoid scandal, he left his wife and moved Anne and her mother over to the American colonies to start fresh. And they went to the Carolinas because there's a very large Scotch-Irish population that had settled in that region in the 1700s. Okay, so she moves, then she marries this pirate called Jack. They're all called Jack, but it sounds, I think. (laughs) Pretty much. She marries him, and, and then she meets Mary Reed. Right. So what happens is in when she's in the North Car- when she's in the Carolinas, she marries a sailor named James Bonnie, and then together they sail down to the Caribbean. They part ways, uh, to put it lightly, and then she meets a pirate captain named Jack Rackham. And this is where the history finally meets the story, because somewhere here in the Caribbean, in Nassau, which is in the Bahamas, they meet Mary Reed, who join another woman who joins their crew. And the story goes that Mary Reed had been disguised as a man and that it was a mystery and Anne fell in love with Mary thinking she was a man. But the reality is they knew she was a woman when they brought her on board because the governor of the Bahamas, Woods Rogers, had issued a warrant for their arrest listing the two female pirates, Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed. So but the way they met, that's one of the biggest mysteries. We don't actually know, but they all came together in Nassau and began sailing off together in August of 1720. And they wreaked havoc. They did. In and around Jamaica, they were targeting lots of merchant ships and fishing ships. And the... They, what's interesting is that they actually only sailed for two months, believe it or not. Really? Yeah, just from August until Oct- the end of October of 1720 before they were all captured and arrested. But during that time, they had robbed enough merchant ships and fishing ships around the coast of Jamaica that they became 
wanted figures by the Jamaican governor. Their, part of their problem was that they kept sailing too close to the coastline. So they were it didn't it wasn't that hard to capture them ultimately. So only out there for two months. But who did they rob? Who were their targets? So they were targeting they, – they, ideally, they wanted to target really large merchant ships that would be going into Jamaica because Jamaica was a huge trading port, not just for goods but also a slave trading port. Mm. But they were never successful in that way as pirates. They got one decent-sized merchant ships and mostly smaller fishing ships, and they would, steal, they would steal things like goods they could sell and also items that they could use to replenish their own stores on the ship and for their own repairs um, – Um, And that sort of thing. That's what they were after. So they went on trial, I assume. What happened to them then? Yes, they went on trial. So in November of 1720, they're put on trial in Jamaica because they were imprisoned in uh, St. Iago de la Vega, which is modern day Spanish town. So they're put on trial and Jack Rackham and the other men on the crew are all tried together and they're pronounced guilty. And then... Several days later, Anne Bonny and Mary Reed are put on trial together. So they're tried separately from the men because they're kind of a special case being women. Mm. And they're also both sentenced to death. But here's what's interesting. When on the sand, after they reveal, after they got sentenced to death, it was revealed that the two of them were pregnant. Oh. Yes. Plot twist here. Exactly. A real plot twist plot twist. And in the 1700s, you didn't know a woman was pregnant or it wasn't confirmed until the child quickened, which meant they felt the baby move, which means they're probably about four months pregnant, five months at the time, maybe. And so they've been pregnant while pirates. Now, the rule goes that generally if a woman was going to be executed, but they found out she was pregnant, they give her what's called a stay of execution, meaning they'll hold off until after she has the child. And nine times out of 10, the women actually won't end up being executed. They'll probably get transported. But this is what they're sentenced with. They get um, a stay of execution. But unfortunately, Mary Reed is going to die of what's called jail fever in April of 1721 and probably Ooh. also complications of childbirth. But Anne Bonnie, we actually don't know what happened to her because there's no death record. Oh, Really? Yeah, no death record. Although recently, I think in um, like November of, of 2020, someone found a record, a burial record of a woman named Anne Bonnie having died in January of 1732, I believe. And so there, it's possible that she lived in Jamaica um, on her own who, doing who knows what for like the next 10 or so or yeah the next 10 or so years before that historians had often assumed that somehow she probably went back home to the carolinas and then lived and uh for the out the rest of her life there i don't suppose there's any hope she found her way back to kinsale you know as far as i know i don't know unfortunately because i'm just thinking bonnie was her married name so i know that this is an incredible story. Listeners in Kinsale would be thinking, right, what was her born name? Do we know that? Yes, we do. We do. Her born name would be Anne Cormac, C-O-R-M-A-C. Okay. And her father was a man named William Cormac. And I actually have, in my research, found a birth record. I believe like the like the Irish heritage registry website um, right. I was able to find them and it lists um, you know him and his wife's name and what's interesting is that in the record um, his wife is also listed as Anne's mother so the idea that Anne was born out of wedlock was probably a fictionalized history published in the 1700s but she existed and her last name was originally Cormac. Cormac is an interesting name because there is a very common Irish name McCormack. 
uh-huh. meaning son of Cormac. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Did her, did her father go on, or father or mother go on to have any more children? Could she have long-lost relatives in Kinsale? It's very possible. Um, the the birth record I found, I didn't see any other relatives listed, but that doesn't mean that there weren't. Uh, it's very likely that William himself could have had siblings or her mother had siblings, yeah. and there could be cousins and other people. And also in the Americas as well, it's very possible perhaps Anne did go back home to the Carolinas and had children. We don't know, but it's absolutely a possibility. Do you know, there's there's a movie in this, Rebecca, or, or a Netflix documentary. I think they would definitely make for a really interesting story. I know that there's been ideas of shows about female pirates that have been put into development, but I don't know how far they've been moving because of the pandemic. There was uh, a Netflix documentary called The Lost Pirate Kingdom, which featured Anne Bonny, but that was kind of very dramatized. Yeah. for it and she was also featured as a character on the show black sales which was quite popular for several years she was a main character Uh, so Anne bonnie herself kind of in pop culture has managed to become quite famous mary reed not quite as much people have always been very fascinated by Anne bonnie yeah i can see why it's it's a fascinating story with the wonderful strong cork connection thank you in particular for telling us about their story and the book is available in in all good bookshops as they say Yes, yes. My book, uh, Pirate Queens, The Lives of Anne Bonny and Mary Reed, is available everywhere. Thank you, Rebecca. Good to speak with you. You're welcome. Uh, Thank you. That's Rebecca Simon. I spoke to her a few days ago. The book, as we said, Pirate Queens, The Lives of Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. Anne Bonny, nay Cormac, from, we believe, Kinsale. There's a few Cormacs around Kinsale down into... West Cork. There'll be a lot of McCormacks, of course. It's a far more common name. But the only, the Cormac I remember is a lovely man. Lovely, lovely man. A priest. Uh, Father Pierce Cormac would be very well known down those parts in West Cork. Um, but there's a lot of other Cormacks around. What am I, just imagine. And this, look, it's the chances of it happening or the, have a better chance of winning the lottery at the weekend or singing for Ireland at Eurovision. But imagine if we could find someone around today who was called Cormac or McCormack, who could trace their 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 lines back to Anne Bonny, nay Cormac, of Kinsale. It's a fabulous story. Fabulous story. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Carrigaline one ninety four for diesel. Two oh one for the petrol. We're going to keep this going for the for the program to see just what kind of levels we've got out there. So the last <coughs> garage you passed, wherever it was, I think Antoinette sent us one from Cove as well, 196 or 197. Um, the last garage you passed or walked past, whatever, or can see from wherever you are, just look at the cost of standard unleaded, unleaded and tell me what that is. Because it's gone way, way up again. Oh, look at this. I just came through Bandon. The highest price was 196.8. The lowest. Sorry, the lowest. Oh, my God. The lowest was 196.8. The highest was 205.9. And guess who that comes from? <laughs> Cormac. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie If you need a light to shine it, I'll be there. 
Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon. Raising money for Cork Cancer Services. Your donations will make a massive difference. Well, I'm delighted to announce that the total raised in the Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon for 2022 is an astonishing €383,973.68. Well done. A huge thank you to everyone who supported the Cork's 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon. Only on Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, we got an email from the uh, Cork City Cleanup Crew, just I suppose coming into the long weekend in the hope that people will take heed of this and dispose of their litter carefully and properly, especially plastic glasses and bottles. Just put them in bins or take them home. And there's a surge in litter recently. They're asking people just to think of the impact it's happening on the local, it's having rather, on the local environment. And they would endorse that as a team here at the Opinion Line. If you're out this weekend enjoying yourself, and please do go out and enjoy our beautiful beaches, our woods, our walks, our roads, our fields, everything we have. But please bring your crap home simple. Bring a bag, bring a little plastic bag and put your stuff into it and bring it home and put it into your own bin. Or put it into a bin at the side of the street if one is provided as it should be. Tallow, 198 for the petrol. Uh, 198. I go to work, I drive to work five days a week. It's costing me an absolute fortune. Tallow, 198 for the um, Unleaded petrol. Okay, just up the road from us here, um, from 96FM, there's a lovely little cafe, and it's there a long time now, called The Hideout. And Agnes does the best BLT in the south of Ireland, and a damn good cup of coffee as well. But something she also does is she has art exhibitions in The Hideout. And there's an art exhibition opened uh, just yesterday by Marie McInerney and there's a story behind it Marie is on the line now to talk to me about it Marie, good morning Good morning PJ, thank you for having me on Delighted, your love of art was born out of illness, wasn't it really? It was I would have enjoyed artistic stuff as a child and I suppose I I did some painting up to the age of about 20 25, 26 Um, my husband back then I was married quite young, he was diagnosed with cancer and he used to love watching me paint Um, and he died in 95 and I put away my brushes, I just found it too upsetting to paint and I didn't paint again for over 20 years until I had a fall in my own kitchen and ended up bedbound for almost a year and then my wonderful husband Dave suggested that maybe I should try and take up the um, take up painting again right. and he bought me an easel that moved with me and that sort of thing and it's kind of gone from there I used it as a, a means to distract from the pain You fell in the kitchen you must have done yourself a fair bit of harm if you were a med for a year yeah, I had I had a bad back, uh, PJ, on okay. and off for years. You know, ruptured discs, that sort sure. of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and it was simply sitting down at the table as a health and safety officer. I would have long had that kitchen out of a work pre- or chair out of a work premises, but in my own kitchen, it was one of those. The kids would come in, they'd kick it together and sit down, and I just sat on the chair and I went from underneath me. And two days later, I just collapsed. Um, I went back to work for two days, and then on the Saturday, I just that was it. This 
spine wouldn't hold me up anymore and nothing really showed up nothing nobody could tell me why I was in that much pain that I didn't have discs out they couldn't see what was wrong but I couldn't I couldn't walk I spent we had a lady come in help me in the afternoons and I think I had 14 spinal injections before I realized this just isn't working for me you know nothing's happening so um and they couldn't they couldn't find any discernible injury they couldn't see anything No, they couldn't see anything. They were taking guesses. I went to every doctor and surgeon in the country, the top guys down, and um, I was admitted to hospital several times by ambulance. The pain was so excruciating. I was on the the dreaded... um, uh, morphine-based tablets, Oxycontin and Oxynorm for about oh. seven months. Um, so I came off them myself, cold turkey, and I just decided I wanted to do physiotherapy. Um, and I started, found a wonderful physiotherapist, James Pickett, and he was just amazing. And he got me from basically, you know, I'd go to him twice a week, I'd go for one session, I'd end up in bed for two days, go back for another session. And gradually over the years, he got me back driving and walking and swimming. Excellent. And as my husband um, suggested, the painting, because I was housebound PJ. Prior to that, I used to love walking and hiking and the beach, especially the sea is a huge influence for me. So he bought me this easel and I can't sit for very long. Even today, I can't sit for very long. I have to stand and take breaks. So the easel would sort of move with me or I'd lie down and painting was something you could do for half an hour and come back to and that sort of thing. So on and off, you know, I go through a spell of painting. Then I might be able to paint for three months or six months if I got a bad flare up. Um, But this went on and, you know, as I said, a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Went to so many doctors, but luckily I met this wonderful doctor, a rheumatologist, about a year and a half ago, and she diagnosed me with um, a condition called spondylar arthritis, which is basically it's almost like a rheumatoid arthritis, but instead of inside the joints, it attacks on cause inflammation, yeah. my tendons, my ligaments where they attach to the bone. But unfortunately, it's been so many years undiagnosed that it has spread to what's called peripheral arthritis. Yeah. So last year. 
I couldn't use my hands. Coming up to Christmas, I wasn't able to use a knife and fork or hold a glass or anything. But look, um, I she put me on another, so I'm on two injections a week. Probably compromising and nerves and all, is it, at this stage, is it? It does. The, the fingers stiffen up and the joints swell. And it's one of those conditions that if it isn't treated, it does permanent damage to the joints. So they'll never be fixed again and I've had this a long time oh without treatment you know so but I'm I'm doing pretty good well PJ, I tell you, you know? whatever muscles and joints you use to paint I'm looking at some of your work <laughs> in front of me here and you said the influence of the sea I, they're beautiful they're absolutely beautiful I'm looking at the one the one that jumps off the page to me um, I have a particular soft spot for sunrises or sunsets uh, over the sea. Uh, the fishermen, is it? Yes, that is gorgeous. Is that a sun, a sunrise or a sunset? It's a sunset, um, I think. It was a gentleman. I come from Killybegs in County Donegal, right. and that's Fintra Beach. And that would have been my ah. backyard. There was an old hotel there, uh, Fintra House, when my father moved there first. I was only a baby. And that was literally our back garden, our backyard. Oh, down my God, you lucky woman. Yeah. Fintra, I, I, <laughs> I, know, I, so I, I drove past it last year on holidays. I'm just dr- dr- driving around. super place. Oh, it's gorgeous. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful, so beautiful place. That was, that's a picture from there. And I thought it was very apt catching up, um, both catching fish and catching yeah. up with somebody in a, the social during lockdown and COVID. So that's yeah. where the name came, catching up for that. Lovely, but yeah. no, I'm, I'm very lucky that the treatment is working and I'm Good. able to paint. And as I said, sometimes I mightn't be able to paint for a few weeks. Other times I can. And without the support of, of my husband, Dave, and my children, who <laughs> have taken over most of the, the housework and a lot of the cooking on days, if I paint, I'm generally not going to be able to cook dinner you know so right. I have to balance my life like that so right. after the opening I have to make sure there's nothing happening on Friday that kind of thing well, so there's a lovely little exhibition in, in the hideout and it's, it's, it's a unique feature of that wonderful little cafe that she does these things oh Agnes has done such a wonderful job there and just the balcony outside and what I find about the hideout you know you you get off the hustle and bustle but very it's very close to McCurtain Street you just go up there's space it's airy you've got beautiful art beautiful food Agnes is a gem she's best, great I, guess I knew her when she ran best, the best BLT best BLT in the south of Ireland and <laughs> you, you, you're very lucky to have that on your uh, on your doorstep that you can pop in for a coffee it's fantastic it's fantastic but then the, the art that's so. beautiful I'm sure, I mean you've got the balcony that's an artwork in itself what's out there it is. Think about yes. it, you know. So it's lovely. She's holding an opening for me. It's my first solo opening. Um, so she's holding that on Thursday evening for me. Okay. Um, starting at half past seven. But yeah, I'm very lucky to be able to paint and have that distraction. And yes, I think yeah. people with chronic pain, there are ways around it and we just have to learn how to deal with it and live with it. I did a great course in Dublin, um, the Ulysses Pain Management Programme, and we should have won in every city. It was where I spent six months learning how to live with chronic pain, and it taught me that I'm able to do these things. I can go to the cinema and how to manage them. So, you know, it's a horrible condition. And the form of arthritis that you have, Marie, like the form of arthritis that you have, did that stem from something or did it just start spontaneously? Is that what it it's still under a huge amount of research. It could be genetic. Um, it could be there from the family. They think it could be from stresses. I lost my father when I was only 13. They think in women, um, this condition usually kicks off between 15 and 17, oh, but is, it goes undiagnosed. Yeah. It goes undiagnosed because, you know, you've got growing pains or you're told you're yeah, this yeah, or that. Yeah. Or, 
Um, I think a couple of lads on the radio, they were doing shows. So you've got an awful lot of young athletes who are getting hip replacements and knee replacements and sort of thing. But they did a a show there where these young fellas, they actually got treated for spondylarthritis and they went, they're back playing, they're playing rugby, they're playing GA, all sorts without having had the surgery. So it's where to attack the ligaments and joints. And it's been mistakenly diagnosed, I suppose, for a long time. Um, It's a very newly known condition, if you like. My physiotherapist, when I started with him, hadn't heard of it. Now he was talking about doing a PhD in it. So that's how he actually triggered um, and got me to go to the rheumatologist. Whereas, as I said, doctors had really written me off that it was in my head or it was, you know, it was just one of those things and to get on with life. So I feel very, very lucky that I got a diagnosis and it has made such a difference to my life. I've like, when this happened, my youngest was only six. At least it's under control now to whatever extent it can be. Whatever, yeah, it's it has progressed into my ankles, my hands, and knees. But the pain medication is helping to slow down the progression, good, good. and and that's the big thing. It's slowing the progression, and okay. early diagnosis for people is just so important. Um, and the more more we know about it, I suppose, the less surgeries people will have to go through. And because there's a lot of it out there, it's just not known um, yeah. about that much, you know. Right. Well, listen, but you no, keep up the you keep up lovely. the fantastic work. And, and with the painting and do as best you can with as much as you can and it's it's lovely work exactly. it's lovely work Marie thank you for being with us on the opinion line <clears throat> Marie McInerney originally from Donegal you can hear the accent in there um, but she's in Cork for many many years and opening at the hideout is her exhibition we want to talk to her about it that exhibition uh, that art was born out of a very very painful condition she was in bed for a whole year with a form of arthritis and remember what she said there about it being this can start when you're in your teens. Weren't we talking on the opinion line only a few weeks ago about how arthritis is not an old person's disease and that many people carry arthritis around with them from their childhood? Thanks for that. Interesting on several levels. Thanks, Marie. 0818 96 Beautiful Glengariff. Petrol 199.9 today. Um, White Church. Uh, 204.9 for petrol. Gone crazy again. Keep them coming. Uh, by the way, if you want to go to Riverdance on Sunday afternoon, Riverdance in for the weekend, a couple of performances at the Marquee, uh, we have uh, tickets for a matinee performance Sunday, June 5th at 2.30. Pair of tickets every day for that gig. And all you have to do is text or WhatsApp the one word Riverdance and your name 083 396 96 96. We'll take them now and we'll give a winner out at the end of the show. We'll let it run now till the end of the show. So, text, and you can do it as many times as you want. <clears throat> text or WhatsApp the word Riverdance and your name to 083 396 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. 
Access all areas on Cork's 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Shawadi Wadi have been long established as Europe's most successful exponents of retro-inspired rock and roll with 23 top 40 hit singles. They come to Cork Opera House on Wednesday, June 8 with tickets on sale now from CorkOperaHouse.ie. Access all areas. Pretty happy and big boy foolish is just one of many brilliant gigs coming up at Collins Live this June. Their double header takes place on June 17th with Paddy Dennehy and Lorraine Nash on the 25th and the Frank and Walters taking place on the 26th. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, or exhibition, or any live streaming events by emailing us on AAA at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialists in sound this summer on Cork's 96FM. Now, I was a fairly late <clears throat> developer when it came to sport. Um, I remember being a, a young fella and having very little interest in sport, which was strange because my family loved sport. Most of my family loved sport, but I had very little interest. I used to watch, I would watch the snooker and I would watch Wimbledon. And I would watch the darts. But beyond that, I had little or no interest. And then I started having to learn about sport for my job. And from that day to this, I love sport. Now, I'm very picky about what I watch. I don't watch everything, but I love sport. And I get the attraction of sport. And that's part of the, the central themes or one of the themes explored in a new book called The Game written by uh, Ty Coakley, who joins me now. Ty, good morning to you. Hi, PJ. Thanks for having me on your show. Delighted to have you, Ty. And um, you've been into sports since you were a small boy in short pants. I was something of a a late developer in it. But, like, the fascination that we have as as a nation of people with sport, you can travel the world, and I don't think there's a more sports obsessed nation than the Irish. Would you agree with me? I agree absolutely and I think it's because we love company. We love being connected to other people. We're very sociable, the Irish people and sport is a great way of connecting people, being part of a group, being part of a tribe if you like. I was at a hurling match last Sunday week known there were 27,000 people there in Torlus and we love being part of a group like that and especially when we have great, you know, people like Katie Taylor, yeah. Kelly Harrington uh, uh, representing our country, we, we love getting behind them. And we feel a very sense of togetherness when we do that. It brings us joy on the toughest day. So the, you know, the economy could be in free fall. We were in all sorts of problems in the world. <clears throat> but a good hurling match on a summer's day, it's all gone for that couple of hours. It is absolutely, you know, and and we need it, especially after the last two years, for example, and now things that are happening in Ukraine and so on. Because when the game starts, you know, two things happen to us. Before the game, we could be a broadcaster, a writer, a nurse, a guard or whatever. But when the game starts, we are a fan and we only are a fan and we're part of a collective. We become homogenous, a part of a group. And we change our identity and all the kind of troubles of our lives disappear for that period. And then the second transformation happens, which is more interesting in a way. We actually become the players in the game. 
if you ever watch someone like watching a game or you yourself and every header every shot you know we take we 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 get right into the game it's amazing and when you're watching you mentioned tennis like when we're watching a great tennis match with Roger Federer or Naomi Osaki it's a great feeling you know we've talent we're young we're rich we're famous and we become those players and we do this through empathy and imagination and the reason we can do it is we've been doing it since we're children there you bring the, the children's thing in and I remember the tennis, just particularly, like every year Wimbledon would come on and the great, late, great Jim Sherwin was the commentator. And all we had that day was That's a few right. highlights in RTE. But you'd find a bit of rope and you'd tie it across the garden and you'd, you'd, rob, a, yes. you'd rob a bed sheet and you'd made a tennis court in the garden. And, and, for, right. for, and for, for, for a week we had And then the Dublin Horse Show, we'd robbed all of the, all of the, 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 the sweeping brushes and shovels and we made fences and we were horses we were and we were Eddie Mackin That's and right. John McEnroe and Bjorn Borg we, we lived their lives uh, right. doing that and it's great for children to do that because it develops their imagination and when they get to you know play in teams and so on they learn networking they learn social skills they learn the uh, importance of focusing, discipline, hard work, and uh, we, we love, uh, yeah. and we love we're doing it too. It's great fun as well. well at the same time, you did you did the one thing I never did. Um, well, I played ten pin bowling competitively for a very short period of time, but I never played something like hurling a football. Uh, you played, you 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 have not earned minor medals, so you've done it as player, fan, and spectator. So, Tyke, it it is just a game. But why is it so important to us? I, uh, uh, well, you know, sports are full of contradictions. Like, at some level, we know it's only a game. But at the same time, uh, because we've been doing it since children, and I think when we do that, and when you were doing that about Wimbledon and the horse show, a switch was flicked inside you that meant that sport was going to be part of your life for the rest of your life, really. Mm. And I didn't recognise it at the yeah, time, and, I guess. And, I know. And, you know, I played a lot of sport. I played mostly hurling and soccer in my hometown of Mallow. And I really enjoyed it. I loved playing with my friends. And um, and then I knew when I became a writer that I was going to write about sport as well. And my first book, The First Sunday in September, was a novel which revolves around a fictional Ireland hurling, hurling match. And... Uh, I knew when that came out that I was kind of hiding behind the characters in the book, if you like, which novelists, novelists do. And I knew I had to write about my own experiences. Now, I, like most sports books are, you know, fellas who played for Manchester United or rugby for Ireland. I didn't play at the very, very top level. So the book is a little bit different than that. No, I did play minor hurling for Cork, but I mostly was a club player. So it's a kind of an everyman book in a way. And so, but it's a bit different. And the other thing that's a bit different about the book is that um, it's in the form of essays. Yes. The book is 18 essays. Which makes and it I a very readable that. book because you can pick one up, read it, put the book away and come back to it, which is what I've done. I've put most of the book away for, for my holidays. But it's one type as which it's not all about glory and happy. And you, you do look at the dark side of sport. And you write I do. without you. You write without fear about the dark side of sport. 
Yeah, you have to call it out, really, because sport is so important to us. You know, there is a dark side to sport. There's four essays there in the middle of the book about, uh, you know, how people misbehave at sport. Like, I mean, there'll be children's games last weekend and next weekend. Yes. And you'll have some Egypt standing on the sideline abusing the referee, right. shouting and roaring at the other players. And maybe, and some of them, they're giving out to their own children about, you know, making mistakes and so on. So we have to, even though we we feel great emotion in the sport, we have to moderate our emotion and we have to be careful how we behave. And I call out myself in, in a match in the Munster final of some years ago, I was shouting and roaring and I, there was a child beside me and the child got a bit afraid. I could see it happening and the father switched places with the child and they went away at halftime and I was ashamed afterwards. Yeah, so you I'm didn't very mean any harm, but you'd upset the child. I did, I did, I did, exactly, yeah. And then you have kind of things like, you know, the world, the soccer World Cup is on a guitar this this winter, you know, and the fact that it's in the winter is, is, is a joke in itself. And, you know, Qatar is a country with a very bad human rights record and they spent $200 billion developing the infrastructure for the World Cup and 4,000 migrant workers have died in the building of those uh, stadiums. Like, we can't stand over that. We have to call it out. And the last uh, World Cup was in Russia. And, of course, Russia wanted it because they wanted to kind of sports wash, make it make, make itself look better. And I'm, I'm sorry, no, I watched that World Cup and I won't be watching the World Cup in Qatar this year. And it'll be the first World Cup since 1970. 18 World Cups I've watched, but I won't be watching this one because, you know, it's not right. Yeah, and you do call all that out in the book. You also talk about women's sport and how we don't maybe appreciate it enough. Although I would say, coming back to the tennis, I now think that women's tennis is a superior game by far to watch. I agree. I agree because, they, 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 you know, it's not all about power and aggression. There's a lot of subtlety in the women. And it, it, it's great. And, of course, women don't get... You know, in fairness, in tennis, in Wimbledon, they get the same money now right. as 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 the men. But that's a very, very exceptional, really. And women have to, you know, go through all sorts of hoops to play sport, to get attention, sponsorship, yeah. all those things that men don't have to worry about. So yeah. we need to support women, especially teenage girls and so on. So many of them are dropping sport. out. Yeah. So many of them dropping they out. They are, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a real pity because, you know, some of them love it and, you know, it's very good. They've done a lot of studies on women's sport. When girls keep playing sport, they have a great self-body image. You know, they go on to do very well in school and college and so on as well. Yeah, you know, it's it. That's again, there are many, many different angles to the to the book, and that's why, as as a set of essays, it worked. I wanted to ask you something, um, Craig. I don't know if you've been asked this in the interviews you're doing for the book. Do you have yourself? Because I'll throw it out there and see what listeners would say. Do you have yourself a, a sporting moment that you would give everything up to watch again? Oh, well, <laughs> live at the time, I have to think about Diego Maradona and his goal against England in, in 1986. It was the most, and you know, and, and not long before it, he handled the ball into the goal. He cheated and, and scored a goal. Right. And then he got the ball and he beat one player, two player, three player, four player, five player. This was the Jimmy McGee different class goal. It, it was, it was actually, yeah. And I remember exactly, exactly where I, I, I was watching it. I was in a, living in a flat in John Street in Cork at the time. 
and I'll never forget it. It's absolutely electrifying. And, you know, I haven't thought about that now for a long time, uh, PJ. So thanks, thanks for bringing that memory back to me now. Well, I'll give you mine. Um, I was in the stands. Yeah, go on. I, I, was, I, was, I was working. I was the, doing tech for the commentary team mm-hmm. here at 96FM at the Miracle Match, Munster against Gloucester. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. At, at the final whistle, grown men cried. And I was one of them. I know, I know. And isn't that amazing? And you know what happens, I think? Uh, there's a famous photo of a, a, a Limerick man when Limerick won the All-Ireland in 2018 and he just burst into yes. tears. Exactly what you did now at that Munster Gloucester game. And he's two children with him. His two children, they're maybe eight or ten or something. And he said afterwards, it was the first time they ever saw him cry. And I believe that we can't contain that emotion because, and I'd say he was thinking probably of his own father or mother who weren't around anymore, who couldn't share that with him. You know, all the kind of grief and sadness and everything pours out of us in those moments. And the great thing is that, you know, you cried that day and a lot of adults cried. But children cry when they lose, but adults cry when they win because children yes. don't have that grief. They don't have that loss that they have to purge, you know, and thank God they don't. Well, I'm going to compliment you in a way. I don't know if you're expecting this now, but as I said, I'm, I'm holding most of this book for my holidays, but the ones I've read remind me of the great Con Hulen. I'll give you that one to start oh, with. Thanks. Oh, God, oh, God yeah. PJ. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. And also, when is Tim Collins back? Not letting you away with that one. He's back. He, no, he's back early next year. I just finished the the sequel of that, and he's heading back down to West Cork, where Excellent. he c- came from originally. So fantastic! Uh, next spring, uh, uh, that'll be out. Uh, for, for listeners, Tim it. Collins is the subject of a, a fabulous book called "Whatever It Takes." Is a, a guard, and it's based in Cork, and it's it's super super crime novel. You've another one out next year. This is a lovely, lovely book, and I hope it'll find its way into many, many suitcases. Tight. Thank, thanks very much, PJ. And just to mention, it, the book is being launched in Waterstones uh, this Thursday oh. by Denny Denton at oh, half man. six. Denny so was everyone here a few is, weeks ago, yeah. Oh yeah, and uh, you know, every time I listen to you since, I think of his book uh, <laughs> along the echo, well, for obvious reasons. And there's another event on Wednesday this week in the city library at half six. I'll be sitting down with Catherine Kerwin, the yes. great uh, crime writer, and we'll be talking about our favorite crime novels. So, again, that's at half six that, in the City Library. That could Everyone be, that could be a long conversation, Ty. Thank you very much. Ty Coakley, author of The Game and author of another one. It's his fourth book, but you should pick, if you want a good crime novel for your holidays, uh, pick up whatever it takes. Super novel based in Cork. And that's a lovely, lovely book about sport. Ty Coakley. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Now, when they break it down to mobile phone use, you could spend up to eight years of your life looking at your mobile okay, phone. Okay, that's the sad bit, you yeah. see. Eight years. I would love to do a digital detox where I get rid of my mobile phone. I know friends of mine have gone back to old Nokia's, just texts and calls, that's it. I like that. It's like that until you're sitting on the toilet and you're kind of going, I'd love to watch Ozark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Find your next car online at noeldc.com. Open 24-7. 96 FM. 
lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, they're still coming in some of your uh, petrol prices just it's nearly up around two euro pretty much everywhere now the lowest i've seen this morning coming in was a 191 and a 192 so it's pretty close to um to two euro everywhere now will they do anything about it they'll wring their hands and tell us they can't that's that's what they'll do that's what they did the last time and then they they tickled around with the exercise duty which fair enough they were allowed to do that but then that's gone that's been completely gobbled up and the question that nobody's asking is the price of a barrel of crude is lower now than it was when all this crack started. So why is the price of petrol still going up when the price of the barrel of crude has gone down? In fact, when the price of the barrel of crude was a lot dearer than it is now, the price of the, at the pe- petrol at the pumps was about 30 cents less. So why is that? Can someone please tell us? PJ says, of course... Price are, of course, PJ prices are going up. The long weekend is coming, so screw the driver. They bet they'll be down again on Tuesday. We don't have a regulator. We pay one. There's not much regulation going on, says Frank. Just earlier on, talking about the planes and the airports and Dublin Airport and what might or might not happen, and we read out that long message that we got in about calling in the military police and why it was that people think that calling in the military police is a sign of failure because you're then saying well we can't cope on our own can you send us a few military police because they're all trained and they've got to get the big boy pants on and get over this sort of oh god we can't be letting them know that we failed sorry but we can see that you have failed we can see that you're lost and swamped and overrun at Dublin airport there are military police officials up and down the country who are trained in this kind of thing and this kind of logistics of handling crowds. Let them at it. Let them at it. Call them in. But they have to be called in, you see. They have to be called in. And there's a big ego jump about calling them in. Well, screw the ego. And let's get people on their holidays. Tom says you did right about the state never admitting to failing and calling in the military police. And you're also right about having all the necessary skills. Thanks, Tom. 0818 96 9696. Now, uh, there's a grant has been announced by Minister Heather Humphreys, Minister for Social Protection. She has announced a grant um, of up to €500 Euro towards the cost of a hairpiece or a wig or other such hair replacement for people who suffer hair loss. And this could be hair loss due to, say, chemotherapy at the time a person has been treated for cancer, or it could be hair loss through. Uh, various different kinds of alopecia. Uh, let's go to Chloe Sheehan of Chloe's Hair Affair. He's been on with us many times about alopecia. I, I note from your Insta recently, Chloe, that you, you're going really well yourself, which is great, but you, you'd welcome this news for people who are stuck in the middle of a bad bout of alopecia, would you? Good morning. Hi, good morning, PJ. How are you? Thanks great. very much for inviting me on. Um, oh, absolutely. It's it's very much so welcomed. And to be honest, I think it's 
very overdue um for someone like i just take me for an example i have had health insurance all my life um i've never had a medical card and my health insurance wouldn't cover it because i wasn't going through chemotherapy so i couldn't get money back on my wigs and i didn't have a medical card to help me pay for the wigs so it was a case that i was paying outright for wigs so something like this for someone like me who's stuck in the middle of the road it's incredible. It's it's just, do you know what? It's fantastic that it's been recognized now as something that people need help with because the conversation has started and the conversation is going. Are they very expensive, Chloe? Yeah, I mean, it depends. Um, I wear human hair wigs um, and I... I could spend anywhere between 500 euros for a wig that I get abroad to up to maybe 3,000 euros for a wig that I buy here. Um, yeah, they're very expensive. And to be honest, they went up by about a thousand, you know, anywhere between 500 and a thousand euros during COVID because there was such a lack of hair. Lots of factories were closing down because the majority of them are made in China. Yeah. And all the factories were closed. And so the price, like even one of my favorite um, brands and type of wig that I have bought multiple times, um, that went from the first time I bought it, paid about 1100 euros for it. The second time I bought one, it was up to 2000 euros. And now that particular wig can't even be got. So they rammed up the price for whatever was left and now it can't even be got. About how long would you get out of a wig? So for someone like me, like I think if you're going through chemotherapy, you're not going to be wearing your wig all the time. You know, you're not feeling well. It's more of a kind of a, you know, to get you out of the house when you are feeling up for it. But, you know, people don't wear it all the time. But when you have something like alopecia, you know, unfortunately, life goes on and you have to go to work every day. And it became my identity, me wearing the wig. So I was wearing it for, you know, 15, 20 hours a day. And if you're wearing it that much and you do take good care of it, you're talking about six to nine months out of a wig. So you're talking realistically, I, I'm i only talking from my perspective, yeah. I would need two wigs a year. So if you're talking, I don't know, 1,500 euros, €3,000 for a wig, and you're talking two a year, it's an awful lot of money. It's, it's a new car, you know? And tell me, why the... This is going to sound like an awfully stupid question. Why the human hair thing? I assume it's not just because it looks nicer. Or is it? Exactly. Well, there's there's a few reasons. Um, I find the human hair much easier to manage. Um, you can wash it and style it just like your normal hair. Um, and also it looks more realistic. Yeah. But I, my skin on my body anyway is quite sensitive. And I'm every single day I try and make sure that my scalp is at its best condition possible. And I find when I wear the synthetic pieces, they're made of like a sort of a reinforced plastic fiber. And I find them very, very warm, yeah. very itchy. I find them quite... Would you get very hot so underneath do, them like? You wouldn't, you wouldn't as much under the human hair. I yeah. do find them a lot better. Um, and I find them actually much easier to manage. But again... They come with the price tag, unfortunately. They do. Now, looking at your Instagram, scrolling through, you're, you're doing okay yourself, aren't you? I am, yeah. I'm five years um, since I was, over five years since I was diagnosed with alopecia areata. And I'm having regrowth since 
April 2020. So I still quite visibly have my alopecia all at the back of my head. But I have a lovely little bob in my hair now and it kind of comes over and it can cover the patches. Yeah. Um, so it's lovely, I think, to hear as well a success story. You know, that I, I went through it for so long and then just one day it just started growing back, uh, which is also important to talk about, you know. Yeah, well, let's let's do that for a second because you've been on it before and you, you like to give a bit of hope to people that, look, the, the chances are it won't last forever. It will come back. Your hair will come back. Exactly. Do you know, like, uh, do you know, there's so many people get some form of alopecia in their lives and they lose some hair, but it's very, it's actually so rare that it will spread and you lose all your hair and it will never grow back. That's mm. quite rare. So I like to tell people, look, just take it day by day. I know I wish I told myself that, <laughs> but I didn't at the time. Um, of course, you're going to think the worst. But more often than not, your hair will actually grow back. Um, mine was looking more and more less likely that it was ever going to grow back just because the pattern it was in and the time frame it was in. But even look at me, you know, I saw doctors who were saying, look, just to be quite honest with you, I don't think it's ever going to grow back. And it even grew back for me. So you just don't know. You yeah. know, it's all up to your body. and You just don't know. Okay. All right. Well, and people can follow you on Instagram, um, Chloe's Hair Affair. And it's fascinating to, to look at it. And your hair looks fantastic at the front now. Yeah, it does. I know you're still great. concealing like stuff at the it. back, but it looks fabulous from the front. I saw some of your pictures recently. It looks really Aww. great, and I'm delighted for you. And I know you're helping an awful lot of people in the early stages of theirs. But you can get this grant now. It's available, I think, as we speak. You can get it through the Department of Social Protection, which will be very, very good for people. Chloe, always great to yeah. catch up with you on the show. Chloe Sheehan of uh, Chloe's Hair Affair. She has a, a thing called alopecia. Ariata. She lost all her hair. Thought it might never come back. Then it did start coming back. But uh, wigs. God, they're expensive things. They're expensive things. So they are. Oh, wait, I can understand for a woman in particular. Uh, I don't know what. If I started losing my hair, what would I do? I mean, I don't have a whole pile of it anyway, but that's by choice. What would I do? I think I'd probably just shave it all off. But then that's me, you know. 0818 96 96 96. I mentioned talking in the, the past hour to Marie about uh, her arthritis and the pain of it and her art exhibition and all that. And I mentioned that we discussed this previously in the opinion that, you know, arthritis is not an old person's disease. Far from it, in fact. Far, far from it. Mags was on saying, no, it's absolutely not. My 10 year old suffers from polyarthritis, which is all a part of her diagnosis of sarcoidosis. And she just takes it all in her straight. That's a nasty one. Max, that's sarcoidosis. It's a nasty, nasty illness. Hope she's okay. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie You, you, you regard yourself as a Welsh lady? I have Welsh blood, yes. But are you Welsh or are you English? Or no, are you I'm Irish adopted, at this stage? So it's a little bit tricky. Yeah. Like, my birth family are Welsh and I was I was adopted in England and brought up in England. Okay. Then you were adopted again by Cork. Yeah. Yes. People from Wales are the worst lovers in the world. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. In a poll. Of Why'd you us. say that? Are you enjoying yourself? Yeah. That would put you off, wouldn't it? I'm just standing here holding this big leaf. <laughs> yeah. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Find your next car online at noeldc.com. Open 24-7. Now you'll have heard a lot of publicity about it and you'll have seen pictures up and it starts very, very soon. Posters up around town as well. It's going to be a huge event. It's an international event, and we're connected to it as as uh, sponsors and as media partners, and we're very proud to be. And it was only when we got into it, we realised how big it is going to be. There is a thing called the Mixed Ability Rugby World Cup. It'll be in Cork from June 5th to, th- to 10th, based at Musgrave Park. 1,100 players coming from 14 countries, 28 teams, and about 25,000 supporters expected through the gates over the week. An enormous event, not just for Cork, but for the people involved, one of whom is Richard, and he joins me. Hi, Richard. Hello, PJ. Good to have you. How are you? Tell me about your environment in rugby. I'm very well, thank you. Um, So I am Campbellist here, big, big honour. And uh, I've worked with Rebels eight years now. Uh, it's been a, it's been quite, quite a ride. Uh, it's been it's been fun every step of the way. So, tell me about the, the the game of mixed ability rugby. What's the difference between it, say, and standard rugby, or is there a difference? Well, there's not really much of a difference. I mean, at its core, it's a, it's the same game. There's just a few modifications. So, just to start with uh, the scrum, for instance, uh, mixed ability removes the need for specialist players slash everyone anyone who wants to scrum can scrum down and scrums are uncontested there there is no pushing or shoving we but we crouch we bind we set and then there, that's just if we hold it there the ball is played in we um right. ball is then kicked out and play goes on from there i see i see so that that's the uncontested scrum we've seen them happen every other element so there's no it, are there no kind of specialized positions in it um, well, like the, 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 it's not all mixability. I mean, I mean, the, 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 you have you have a you have a fair mix of players with disabilities and then players without. Um, they used to be referred to as as the facilitators, but we're trying to um, uh, like stray away from that sort of label aspect. We we we're trying to make everyone as equal as can be. Sure. So there there are no labels. There's no there's no calling anyone names. We're 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 all, we're all the same. We're all, we're all just players on a on a rugby field, you know? and that's, that's and that's, that's the magic are. of it. And everyone is playing it to the best of their ability. And I've seen some videos exactly, of it. Yes, exactly. I've seen some videos of it, Richard. It's a fabulous. I mean, I love rugby. It's fabulous to watch. And it's, and it's fabulous to play, PJ. Um, it's like I mean, the, the actual need. I mean, yeah, it, I mean, you can go hard if you want to, but like you're 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 not, you know, killing yourself out there. You know, it's it's to, it's for fun. It's to, it's to play. It's rugby for the sake of rugby, yeah. and that's the you know that's like even from from an early age, I knew I I knew I want I want to play rugby from an early age. I knew, I, I knew what I was getting into, but and um, you know, if if, if it was for for like competition. Just for fun, I didn't care. I just, I just wanted what wanted in. So, and, and, and it's great to be here. It, 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 it's great to be a play, uh, playing rugby 
it's great to, it's great to be where I am right now and it's just it's, it's been a, it's been a hell of a ride it really has yeah this is a lifelong dream fulfilled for you and to have the world cup here in Cork like it's it's staggering especially especially being captain in this year of all years uh there's a lot right on these shoulders PJ uh let me tell you um oh you're I, captain I, I, tell me tell me more. I am captain yes 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 um and I'm actually I'm the first player in this country to be captain in a year where Ireland is the host nation. Uh, nobody from Munster or Leinster or Connacht or Ulster has ever done that. We're, we're talking about, you know, Peter O'Mahony, Brian O'Driscoll, even the even the woman, Eva Considine. None of them have have ever been captain in a World Cup year where Ireland is the host nation. I am the first player to ever have that honour. Wow, that's something. It's, it's like. That's it's something. Staggering. To captain captain your country as the host nation for the World Cup and be the first guy ever to do it. That's incredible. It's, it's staggering. Brilliant. Uh, Sheila is there. Hi, Sheila. Yes. Yes, hi, PJ. Thank hi. you for having us on. I'm delighted. I'm so looking forward to getting out to see this because um, the videos I've seen are brilliant. And it's going to, there's a whole sort of a tented village going in and entertainment spaces and everything. It's going to be an enormous event. You're really looking forward to it. We are really looking forward to it. I suppose COVID, it was supposed to be two years ago. And uh, it's just, it's unbelievable to be back there now playing and training and to really feel we're on the cusp of it. I suppose we never thought, I mean, even for me privately, apart from Richard's rugby, it's just great to be back out in the normal world and to have the World Cup and it only uh, commencing next Sunday. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Now this is this is your son, of course. I should have mentioned it. That introduced you as he's my uh, son. Yeah, the captain. Uh, uh, the captain. That, that, no. And I'm the captain's <laughs> mother. That's just by the by. You know, she's like my ma'am, my boy is captain of <laughs> Ireland. How does that feel, Mammy? Well, it's incredible. I suppose um, Richard had played dabbled around with a bit of sports as a young fella. Yeah. Um, but really nothing particularly came to mind. And then we heard about this meeting over at um, the Well, Musgrave Park, there about seven or eight years ago, um, that they were starting up a mixed ability uh, rugby club. Um, the meeting was um, headed by Lee Marr and, excuse me, Alan Crockwell. And it was like hearing, like it was hearing what we wanted, what we wanted all along. And there was just a small group of mums and potential players and it, it was incredible. It was hearing something that we, we didn't believe we were hearing. It's taken off from there. The club has grown. The interest has grown. And passion amongst the lads. I mean, I'm not going to talk too much, PJ, because really it's all about those yeah. lads out there playing. And I'm talking about the team. I'm not even talking about Richard or his yeah. friends. It's about the team. But, um, so we're delighted. But delighted. The, the magic of having in the place where you went for that first meeting, you and Richard went yes. for that first meeting to have the World Cup there now. Yes. That's enormous. It's enormous. And I suppose really the thing is, PJ, my friend of your listeners, it's all really about inclusion. And even as recently as the weekend, um, one of the players hadn't been to training for a long time. Yes. We had a match at the weekend with Muskery and uh, there was a cheer sent out for Aaron who hadn't been at training for a long time and he's one of the mixed ability players and, and it's just the inclusion and it's just lovely to see as a mom uh, when they put on their jerseys on a Sunday morning there 
it's it's just incredible um the support the interest the growing interest yeah. uh for me and it's given richard something to talk about it's given him an interest it's taught them respect for their uh, coaches yes. for their um, managers for their play you know their team and themselves yeah. so it has had Im- immense benefits richard come back to yourself there so this is the the place where the first meeting that you had that you went to with your mum to find out about mixed ability rugby and here you are captain of Ireland in the host nation in the very same place as you had that first meeting there's not too many players in any kind of sport in Ireland can can have that to write down no there isn't and like way back in 2014 when this whole thing started I mean, I was home. Mum was home from work. She told me about, about, about the meeting. And PJ, I didn't know what the hell Miss Bilty was. I mean, you watch rugby. I watch rugby. We both know what it's like. And just how do you marry the two concepts? Uh, a, a game like rugby with, you know, people with, with you know, autism, which is what I have, Asperger's, um, epilepsy, um, and like head injuries as well. How do how do you marry those two ideas? It's it, it just the, the science, the logic. It's you're asking for trouble, you know. But um, I was curious, so I went along, and it was eye opening. What what Liam and Alan talked about, and um, the footage they, they showed show us from England, uh, the stuff that they, they, they spoke about, the, the, how, how it was going to work. It was eye opening, and like eight years later. You know, I've I've seen for myself, and it's 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 something that has to be seen to be believed. Because talking about it doesn't do it doesn't do it justice. Yeah. Uh, you have to go and see for yourself, and you will see for yourself that it's just wonderful to behold, and it's just fantastic to be a part of. And I, I mean, I I say that with pride, being, being a player for eight I can, years. I can hear it now. Being, hear being, it. Being, being captain, being captain, like you know, I can hear it. Listen, have a great tournament. And have a great time, and I'm hoping to get out there to watch a match at some point. Richard Philpott and his mum, Sheila. Richard is captain of Ireland, and Ireland are the host nation. He is the first rugby player in Irish rugby history to ever be able to write that down on his CV. Good man, Richard. And thanks also to Sheila. 0818969696. Speaking of uh, rugby, we threw out that idea when I was chatting with Ty Coakley. But, you know, the, the moment that you remember from watching any kind of sport at all, that you'd give it all up just to see again. On the 21st of March, 2009, Ron Nogara, a drop goal against Wales in the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff to give Ireland a two-point victory over Wales and achieve Ireland's first rugby Grand Slam in 61 years. Historic occasion, everlasting memory. I remember it. And if you go to the Aviva Stadium... On the way in there, I was up there in uh, February for the Ireland-Wales game. As you go in, there's a, there's a wonderful entrance foyer and all of these great moments are written up and, and across the top of it is drop goal attempt, grand slam at stake. It was amazing, absolutely brilliant. I remember that one really, really well. And at the weekend then... I forgot to mention this yesterday. The voice was really ragged yesterday. It's a bit better today, thanks. Mightn't sound it, but it is. <clears throat> um, last weekend, La Rochelle against Leinster. Um, 
that was Munster and Leinster. And I, it was Munster playing in La Rochelle jerseys. But it was Munster and Leinster. And, and our boy won. Our man won. Uh, Ronan O'Gara. And I was thinking when that message came in and the, the, the miracle match that I was talking about earlier on and the great days of, of Ronan O'Gara playing for Munster and playing for Ireland and winning the Grand Slam with that drop goal. The La Rochelle victory on, uh, on the weekend. We'll claim that, you know, we will. We'll claim it. 0818 96 96 96. Just on petrol prices, it's profiteering, plain and simple. Garage owners say they're not making money. If that's the case, why is there at least 10 cents of a difference between the garages? Applied to the same brand of garages. You could have a particular brand in McCroom at one price, another with the same brand in Middleton, which is up the road from the refinery, 10 cents dearer. That's 10 cent profit. And how about the first garage is making? And that's from Craig, <clears throat> the trucker. Yeah, it seems to me, Craig, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong here or maybe I'm right, I don't know. But it seems to me that the closer you get to Whitegate, <laughs> the dearer the flipping petrol actually gets. 0818 96 96 96. Now, during Radiothon on Friday, we played out something that we'd been putting a bit of work into for the previous couple of weeks. And we had a huge response to it because the, the Cork Dragons is a phenomenon. Cork Dragons was set up in 2012. A woman called Tara Sheridan, sadly no longer with us, was the driving force before, behind the setting up of the Cork Dragons. And uh, we, we worked with them uh, for Radiothon. And we had a huge response to it. So, uh, because the big response was maybe lost in the whole, you know, glory of Radiothon, joy of Radiothon, we're going to give you another chance to hear it next. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Yeah, Joe, uh, Mike in Kentork. Hi, PJ, my great sporting memory watching the ball coming in over Palooka's head in Giant Stadium in USA 94. I was standing behind the goalie for Ray Houghton's goal. Yeah, I was on my honeymoon, Mike, in Malta, uh, found a little tiny bar, like, I mean, tiny, but it was soccer-obsessed, and they were showing the match. Uh, and my wife learned that night that she needed to be patient with me when I was around <laughs> around the match. <laughs> Thanks for that. 0818 96 96 96. So the Cork Dragons, Dragon Boat team, uh, was set up in 2012, generally to support women who'd been diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, you being a member of the Dragons, not just physical activity, but it's a, it's a whole social event. It's a whole support network, a whole team of people. And there are 10 years on the water this year in 2022. And as I say, we were working with them to mark that occasion. And what you're about to hear, we're particularly grateful to Val, to Fiona, to Viv, to Josie and to Orla. But thanks in particular to every member for being part of it. Now, we met them for their paddle practice, which they have a couple of times a week. But then the ladies went off and recorded for us 
various times of the day and night their own thoughts about cancer, cancer treatment, and their journey with cancer. And we ran it as part of the Radiothon, but it got an enormous response when we put it up as a podcast. So we're going to repeat it today. And once again, with thanks to all involved who put work into this for us, here is Dragon's Diary. It's Friday morning um, and it's quite a dull day out. And usually when it's done, I just don't feel the best. Hopefully the sun will shine later and I'll feel a bit better. Just a bit tired now, my throat is sore. But I'll get there. I'll be strong and I'll get there today. Good morning. Just woke up. Um, feeling really tired today and my bones are really aching. I don't know whether this is from the treatment, getting old or rheumatoid arthritis. But I just want to go back into bed. Um feeling tired but look I'll make it I have to get up and support myself my my kids so no choice um, I'll make the best of the, the day and make sure I enjoy it could be one of my last who knows let's make let's get busy living alright guys so just a couple of things before we go out firstly welcome to our new people again fabulous to see everybody here tonight um, it's wonderful so we have a couple of things now tonight is our normal training night but we have to incorporate our ocean to city race as well tonight. Is that okay? Yeah. So um, we have two boats going out. We have a social boat with the drummer, and we also have our ocean to city boat. Now there's 20 in the ocean to city boat, so it's a full boat, okay? And um, for our social boat, our new ladies, I'll be in the boat as well with Eileen as the helm. And we'll be just taking it nice and gentle down the side of the river, okay? And we'll be concentrating on just our paddle taps, getting our rhythm back together. Chances are we might be home before the others, but that's fine too, okay? Hi, I'm Vivian Toomey. I'm from Cargilline. I'm originally from the north side, so I'll always be an Ori, no matter what. <laughs> an, an immigrant. Yes, definitely. I discovered a lump in my neck and I went to my doctor because I have uh, rheumatoid arthritis as well. So I have to have a blood test every three months. And I showed her the lump in my neck and she said, you need to go for a scan. And I was um, sent to, to the consultant and he sent me for a biopsy. And it came back that there was um, suspicious cells. So then I got an appointment for the South Infirmary for the 23rd of December last year. I went in and had, at the time, they didn't know whether it was going to be a full thyroid or a half thyroid removal. And on the day he said that I, the lump was very aggressive and he was 99% sure that it was cancer. And that was confirmed in January. And in March, I had to go in for a radioactive iodine treatment into the CUH. Um, I was like in a prison cell for a weekend. Um, there was a hatch in the door. I had to have four showers a day, three, three litres of water a day to try and um, get the radioactive iodine out of me. Um, I left hospital on the 28th of um, March. I am back to normal in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways I'm not because I still don't have the energy. And I find some days I have to come home to bed and go to sleep. My favourite film is um, The Shawshank Redemption and the saying I get from that is get busy living or get busy dying and I want to get busy living and I find joining the Dragons I joined them four years ago I used to um, volunteer in an autist, for autistic kids and I met a friend who had breast cancer and she asked me to come along Linda was her name and I came along 
and I joined them and I always felt like why am I here I'm not I didn't have cancer but then when I when I did get my diagnosis I rang her and said I know I'm a true dragon so tell me about the importance of, of this group here your families don't understand like I have two kids my son is 21 in June and my daughter is 17 going on 18 now they're very good kids I'm not saying that my mum and dad were are, are elderly my sisters have been brilliant to me I have three sisters and they've been brilliant to me but I don't think anybody understands until you discover you had, had, had cancer yourself Covid made, it, made us all wake up and see that the best things in life were free and that we just need to enjoy the moment and just make every moment count and only for the dragons I think getting out walking during Covid and we I didn't get back to the rowing last year but I couldn't wait to get back to it this year either. Getting out on the water that sense of freedom out there you could you can and the wine the just, mindfulness oh, the wine. And the, I said the wine no 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 and the mindfulness <laughs> on the water yeah. oh my god like you're just there and like just just look out of there it's just yeah it's so good for your mind yeah really. you couldn't bottle that no you couldn't and you couldn't pay for it you couldn't put a price in it on you Caroline Mags O'Shea Helen O'Brien Sally and Kira. my name is Josie Cassidy I saw um, an advertisement when I was in in um, CUH and then when the Maritime Festival happened here in Cork I, I said to somebody, I have to get in a dragon boat. So much so, I think I drove her mad. A lady called Joya, and she's just outside us here today. And Joya kept saying to me, oh, Josie, we'll definitely get you on the dragon boat. From that moment that I tried the dragon boating, I loved it. Where are you on your journey? I was diagnosed in 2017, and I'll be very truthful with you. I had an appointment for breast check. And um, I wasn't going to go at all. I had no signs or symptoms, and I think this is very important for people to take note of. I had no signs or symptoms. I had been out. I I think I joined four walking groups. I felt I hadn't been as fit in, in my life as what I had at that stage. I was caught in in time, in as much as it, it was the early stages. I had 15 sessions of radiotherapy. Thankfully, I didn't have to have chemotherapy, but I'm still taking this tablet and it it can have severe enough side effects. And um, hopefully, as I'm into my fifth year this year, I'm hoping that I'll be taking off this particular tablet. This has given me a new impetus in in, in my life, you know what I mean? Because of the training aspect of it, the camaraderie, we're getting involved in so much. There's that side to it, okay, where there's the fun side. And sometimes maybe not so much fun, I have to tell you as well, PJ. Because listen, there's there's a competitive element as well, you know. <laughs> then for people who are going through any adverse side effects of medication, they're on as an example. People who haven't been under medication don't maybe appreciate it as much, but whereas that's one of the things we're able to talk about. With, with the best will in the world, okay, you've got people who can be extremely supportive, but they don't quite get what it's like, not like your colleagues. It's 12.30am in the morning. I'm up since 7.15am and I'm supposed to be going to sleep. I've taken all my medications for the night, but 
my mind is busy. I just found out today that a friend got results that she has a benign tumour on her leg and she has to wait till next week for more results on treatment. Um, when you hear the word tumour, it just brings the horror of everything straight back to the forefront of your mind. So I have to really work hard at trying to put the thoughts to the back of my mind, at least till the morning. So it's now 2.30pm and I've been really tired all morning. And then just whatever way it hit me, I just thought, oh my God, it's tiredness, this extreme tiredness. Is this a sign of something? And I suppose it just makes you think it's never far from your mind. Every little thing you think back is the cancer back. Please listen to your helm when you're on the on board tonight. Eileen is our helm. Eileen is lovely, but she's too nice, right? Because she's <laughs> she will My name is Fiona and I am originally from Dublin but I'm here in Cork for the last 20 odd years. I was availing of the services of Ark House and it was inside there that they told me about um, the Cork Dragons and how beneficial it would be for somebody like me. What's your own cancer story? So I was diagnosed in, <coughs> excuse me, in June 2018 with um, an aggressive form of breast cancer called triple negative breast cancer. I was only 45, so I didn't expect to be diagnosed um, at all. It, it wasn't on my radar. And um, it was completely and utterly life-changing. You were thrown into a world of surgeries, chemotherapy. I had 16 chemotherapies, um, lost every single bit of hair I had. Then I had radiotherapy, 20 sessions of radiotherapy every day as well. How are you now? I'm doing great. Um, it's been a hard road. When I joined the Dragons, it was kind of just after I'd come out of my treatment. But because of the radiotherapy and chemotherapy with lowering your immune system, I got very sick with my chest. So I actually had to come out of the Dragons while I was hospitalised with that. And I have severe breathing difficulties as a result and COVID hit at the same time. Um, so I've only literally come back now since after COVID and I've been doing really well. And um, the exercise is amazing. I didn't think I'd be able to breathe up and down the river, yeah. let alone the paddling motion, like we did 12 kilometers on the water last week. And if you'd have told me during my journey, would I be doing that? I would not have said I would be able. The dragons are my aftercare. Do you know, with them, I can come in when I'm at home. I put on a brave face. How am I doing? It's an automatic grant. Great. Like when your kids come out of school, how's the day? Fine. I can come in here then, talk to the dragons and they'll understand. You'll just say you have an appointment or you have a mammogram coming up and they'll understand what your fears are. Um, they'll understand when you're happy, they understand when you're sad, they can pick up on emotions. Mm. And if you are out paddling and you get tired in the boat, you're not embarrassed to say you're tired. And, and you are well now, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. But do you get times when you think, what if it comes back? 
every day. Every there day. isn't a day that goes by that I don't think of it. Um, apart from the obvious um, breast check, checking yourself for lumps and bumps, any little spot, any headache, anything, you think, what if it's back? What if something is happening here again now? So it never, ever leaves you. And the understanding around this group here? Without them, like, as I say, I would have no aftercare. Attention, go. Nice and gentle, all together. One, two, three, four, five. So hi, my name is Val Elif and I'm a member of the Cork Dragons. I'm from Crosshaven. I've been a member of the Cork Dragons since 2016. Diagnosed with breast cancer in 2015 and um, I was availing of the services in Ark House and I saw a sign on the back of the toilet door for the Cork Dragons and I couldn't wait to be well enough to be able to come and join them. I adore the water, anything to do with the water, that's me. So I just couldn't wait to be well enough. I remember the founder member, Tara, sadly no longer with us, but what she set up. Did she realise the wonder at the time? Do you know, I never had the pleasure of meeting Tara, but she was such a special lady and she is held in such high esteem by every member of the club, whether they were a member of the club at the time or whether um, new members like myself. So Tara Sheridan, absolutely. We have our Princess Warrior Tara boat, which was our first dragon boat, which we have, and it is uh, aptly named. Do you know when we were talking, BJ, and you said two things you feared the most were cancer and motor neuron disease? And I was just thinking, cancer, that's me. I've been through cancer. It's surreal. I still think nearly four years later, what just happened? Did I actually have cancer? It's, it's surreal. It'll always be just surreal. And do you know, PJ, I'm conscious, listen back to these recordings, you know, that I sound so hoarse and that's due to the inhalers that I'm on for my chest. Um, and I suppose it's something I just need to get used to. But, you know, it just makes me remember so much with all the medication, um, listening back to my voice and the hoarseness. I just met a friend for coffee there who's also been on a similar cancer journey. And she was just talking about how it is difficult to talk to others who don't know what it's like to have a diagnosis like this. Um, I suppose everyone thinks that everyone's journey is the same, but it's not. It's totally different. That just because you know somebody who got better from a surgery after breast cancer, that doesn't mean that the same is going to happen for you. You know, so it's just so important to have others who are sharing the journey with you, who have been through the similar experiences. They know, they understand that we're not all the same. Have a good paddle. Enjoy. See you later. And thank you again to everyone from the Cork Dragons uh, for working with us on that. They wanted, it was a slightly shorter version than ran during Radiothon, um, they wanted to thank their sponsors because they would be able to 
not able to do an awful lot of things they do without help of uh, Tequila Jacks down there uh, on the boardwalk and the great help of Cully and Sully who've recently stepped in with some sponsorship for them as well, and many more who've helped them uh, over the years. But it's great to spend some time with the Cork Dragons. If you missed anything from today, we've got podcasts coming up from shortly after midday, and the full show goes up in the middle of the afternoon. Nick Eames, I hope I get this right from Lislahorig, or Lislahorig in Skibbereen is our winner today on the Riverdance giveaway with Live at the Marquee. It's the best I can do, Nick. Well done. You're off to see Riverdance on Sunday on the Marquee uh, performance. And that's it. The programme edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Apologies again for the voice. It's a bit better than it was yesterday and hopefully better again tomorrow when we see you just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.